This TSN 1040 podcast is powered by Metro Ford. It's hard to beat a Metro Ford deal. In Port Coquitlam and online at metromotors.com. This is Nation Network Radio on the voice of Vancouver Sports, TSN 1040. Now, here's John Abbott and J.D. Burke. J.D. Burke with you, as always. You can follow me on Twitter, at Burke with an E at the end. Dylan spelt like Bob Dylan. And joining me in John Abbott's stead, John Abbott's covering the World Hockey Championships. You could have heard his call in the update for Team Canada's 3-2 loss to the Swiss. Stepping in is Israel Fair from the Athletic Vancouver. Izzy, how are you doing today? It's good to be here, JD. It's been a, been a while. Looking forward to doing the show. Well, welcome back. And I guess we'll get it right into it with the news of the day. And that is Elias Pedersen. There's been some discussion to close out the week about whether he will or won't make the jump to the NHL next season. Uh, not so much a question of capability uh, or, or competency, more a question of whether he's ready to make that switch, make that adjustment. And I, I know a lot of Canucks fans right now are extremely antsy about the entire process because they just want to see this kid get into the lineup over a point per game. I think he had the gold helmet in the uh, Swedish Hockey League uh, playoffs for the MVP. Uh, some think he doesn't have anything left to prove in Sweden, but then again, it's, it's quite a leap to ask of a 19 year old to come to an entirely different continent and step right into the NHL. So it seems like it's not necessarily anything nefarious. It sounds like Elias Pettersson just wants to weigh out all his options, whether he's physically, emotionally ready to make the jump. Uh, but it has thrown the market into a bit of a, a frenzy of late. And, and certainly if you're on either end of that spectrum, we want to hear from you, the listener. Reach out to TSN 1040, 604-280-1040, toll-free 844-876-1040. Text us at 104040. Where do you stand on the news about Elias Pettersson and, and the possibility that he'll stay in the SHL for next season? Look, I understand why it's a conversation at this point, and I understand why people would be uh, interested in the story. But uh, I do think that it's just something that uh, his team in, in Sweden is doing their due diligence. They, of course, would love to have the guy who was the best player in the league last year uh, stay another year. Seems reasonable. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's that <laughs> sounds like a pretty reasonable management to me. Uh, yeah. I just think that the big surprise, I guess, is that it's been... If you listen to the Canucks management, Jim Benning specifically has been pretty clear that they expect him to be over here uh, to start next season, and that's why I think this this news caught a lot of people off guard. Yeah, and, and I think right now the, the thing to mention is that we don't really have news yet. I mean, as far as this is all concerned, uh, Elias Pedersen didn't have a contract two weeks ago. He doesn't now. Uh, he's going through the process. He's going to be meeting with his advisors, his agents. Uh, there was one report from John Shannon suggesting that he would sign a contract right after the World uh, Hockey Championships. There's another saying it's uh, the decision's in flux. Uh, a lot of moving parts, and I think that I, I tend to see it this way, too. It's, it's going to get resolved, and I think by the end of it all, Elias Pettersson will have an entry-level contract with the Vancouver Canucks, just a matter of time in all likelihood. Uh, so I, I think that there's much ado about nothing in terms of the panic. I think people are right to make a story of it, but I wouldn't necessarily be concerned just yet. Uh, this isn't the KHL and, and Nikita Triampkin all over again. And I think worse comes to worse, what if he does spend another season in the SHL? I mean, are the Canucks going to be any worse next year? I mean, potentially, but to what exact end? I mean, is this a playoff team with Pedersen? Is it a playoff team without Pedersen? 
I don't think he changes the landscape that much in his first season. And you can't expect every prospect to come into their first year and have the impact that Brock Besser did. And even if he does, is that enough? Because you still got to replace the Sedin's production, have to account for a team that's getting a year older. Uh, for me, that's why it's the biggest non-story. Is is just the fact that it doesn't really change the facts on the ground. The Canucks are still three, four years away from being able to seriously consider themselves uh, in the contention for even a playoff spot, much less going any further. So, uh, in the bigger picture, I don't think there's really anything there. I think from the uh, developmental standpoint, the big question in him and Pedersen coming over is whether he can be a center, right? That's the big conversation about about him as a player, and he's played mostly on the wing in Sweden, and uh, there are some people that believe that that's ultimately where he'll end up. Mm-hmm. And so if, there, if you're going to look for a positive for him not coming over, if he stays in Sweden and develops as a center, then I think that's something that you can get behind but i mean i do think that ultimately you you want him here if you're the canucks to to play in the nhl to get that experience and uh to perhaps learn on the fly because it's not easy i think you look at william nylander in toronto and Mm -hmm. he's uh had two very successful years and there are still questions about if he'll ever make that transition to center so it's certainly not a given and and you know you talk about a, a coach who's kind of it demands a lot from their players i think you can group mike babcock and travis screen into that same class of coaches uh, in that one perspective. I don't know if Travis Green is there yet, but certainly in that respect they're very demanding of their players and uh, I don't think Pedersen would be playing center next season, no matter how this goes. I mean, he's played so little of it in these last two years in the SHL and the Allsvenskan uh, which doesn't augur well for an easy transition and an immediate one at that, uh, playing in a, the highest league possible. I mean, the, the circumstances just don't align for that kind of thing. Uh, so that's that's an interesting story. There was also a lot of talk, and, and I guess just in a similar vein, we can talk about the uh, prospects the Canucks have playing over in Europe right now, and one of them was Ole Ulevi. Uh, the province's Jace, Jason Botchford wrote a prospect profile uh, where he spoke to Sammy Sallow and there's a lot of discussion about whether he could make the jump next season and we're getting close to the draft again the Canucks season is over so a lot of this is about projecting that's where we're at in the, in the stage of the year so a lot of it sounds like there. He he was the best player on his team, TPS Turku, and Sammy Sallow who was notoriously hard on him in every media appearance in Vancouver stopped to give him that level of praise. Said he was their best player down their stretch, best player in the playoffs. Uh, The question is whether he can make the jump next season. And you look at the left side of the Canucks blue line, it's pretty dire in general. But then you look at what's there. Michael Delzato, Ben Hutton, Derek Pouliot. Which of those do you see as a roadblock to Ole Ulevi? And just from a PR perspective, don't you think that the Canucks are going to be they're going to have a little added urgency to make this transition with their blue line. They can't bring back the same group. Everybody says it, and that's because it's true. The results don't speak to a, a group worth worth defending and keeping intact. Uh, so a lot of talk about Ole Ulevi and whether he can make the jump next season. Uh, where do you stand on this one right now, Izzy, as we get into the summer, where he's obviously going to be looking to you know, add some upper body strength, um, seem more engaged. I mean, it was interesting to hear Sammy Sallow or, or read those quotes. A lot of what he spoke of was uh, body language. And it's funny because it, it mirrored a, a set of comments by Canucks assistant general manager John Weisbrod about the fact that he looked disinterested in times in the OHL, something to that effect. So uh, I guess the question then is, 
can the Canucks find a way to get him in their lineup as soon as next season? I think if you're looking at it rationally, you have to be encouraged by the fact that he did finish out the season strongly because mm-hmm. there was a noticeable dip. Uh, not that I watched a ton of his games, but talking yeah. to people that did and looking at the numbers, there was a mid-season dip. And the fact that he rebounded from that, I think, is a good sign uh, for him to be able to come over next season and have some sort of role. And I do think that... it kind of like Pedersen is in the team's best interest to to give these young players the opportunity as you laid out JD the blue line is something that needs to be changed in one way shape or form uh, I do think that, that the obvious starting point is Ben Hutton given the way that his mm-hmm. season played out uh, we can have a totally different discussion about whether or not that's the right call but if you're looking at the situation and, and the way that, that Hutton's season played out that seems to be the obvious starting point mm-hmm. and I do think that there is there is a role there for Yulevi to fill, and I do think it'll be very interesting. He'll be the the guy uh, that, at least on the blue line, people are going to be paying attention to at training camp. Certainly, and after last season, he's really going to have to do something to justify the Canucks' uh, investment of a fifth overall pick in him, because you go back to last training camp, and just going back to the Penticton Youngsters Tournament, it was looking pretty dire. Uh, he got burned by a couple of ECHL forwards, and, and there was concern then. And then he came into the preseason, and the exact same thing happened. Happened, <laughs> And you just start to wonder, because you look at these defensemen taken after him. Mikhail Sergachev is playing a big role in the Tampa Bay Lightning's uh, cup run right now. Impact player. Impact player. I think he had 40 points on the season. Uh, nobody on the Canucks came close to that mark. I think the closest was Alexander Edler. So Charlie McAvoy, again, there was a lot of discussion about him winning the uh, the Calder Trophy. Uh, so he's got to really prove himself, and he's got to prove the Canucks right. And that's going to be a huge storyline going into next fall. Uh, so it's, it's going to be interesting, and I guess it's just a question of uh, we'll see how much faith the Canucks have because at the draft, they're going to have those options at seventh overall, whether it's Noah Dobson, who they've been linked to, whether it's an Evan Bouchard. You can even go down the list to Ty Smith might be somebody of interest, Hughes, Boquist. This draft is defense heavy. And it'll really speak to the club's faith in you, Levy, or lack thereof, depending on which direction they go. So I think that'll be a good way to to read the tea leaves. Uh, we've heard a little bit about the Canucks' interest in Noah Dobson. Uh, there's been a, a growing voice in the market for Evan Bouchard. Um, both of those, well, Dobson's a left shot, Bouchard a right shot. Um, be interesting to see which direction the Canucks go in and how they address that hole because it is pretty glaring on the back end and the need for a power play quarterback is something that Travis Green alluded to multiple times this season, the need for somebody to jump into the play. So uh, hopefully Levy can be that player, but I guess shifting gears, do you think that that's something they look to address in the draft just as a, as a security net, something to back up that option if he's not where they think he needs to be, not this year, but perhaps next or the year after? I know that you've written a lot about this already and will continue to as we as we get close to the draft. And, I mean, Bouchard and Dobson seem to be the guys at that number seven spot that makes sense. They both have uh, some pretty obvious strengths and as well as, as some pretty obvious weaknesses. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that will be super interesting uh, in terms of, I think... I mean, regardless of how Levy, where he is at in his development, if he's ready to come over and play right away, mm-hmm. we both know the Canucks simply need to continue adding players that have the potential to make an impact on the blue line. And yep. you look at their at their blue line currently, uh, Alex Edler is still a 
fairly productive player, but he's a veteran. He's got one year left on his deal. Yep. Uh, Chris Tanev, when healthy, remains a fairly productive player, but that's become something more of an issue. And then I think you go down the line. I, I like Troy Stetcher a lot, but mm-hmm. I think he's a, he's definitely more of a, of a role player uh, yep. than someone that is going to be the the big-time power play quarterback, and I think he's absolutely a, a, a really nice piece to have. Um, and we talked about Hutton. So I think the, the more young defensemen that the Canucks can add, it's obviously an area of weakness for the organization, and it does play uh, in their favor that this draft is is pretty heavy with D-men, and uh, depending on how the first six play out, there could be a, there could be a pretty decent player that falls to them at seven. Yeah, I mean, you have to, to hope for the Canucks' sake that it's somebody like Quinn Hughes, somebody that, who's just a dynamic skating force, somebody who can run a power play. Uh, you know, maybe they can find that type of player without Hughes. Maybe it can be an Evan Bouchard, but that's that's who you got to be hoping for if you're the Canucks right now. A little bit undersized, but you wouldn't notice it if you watched him play in college. He's playing against people much older than him and acquitting himself quite well at that. Uh and we're talking about the blue line, though, and, and one name that was noticeably absent from your, your kind of run through the Canucks blue line was Derek Pouliot. And what an interesting season he had. He goes from vindicating the Canucks investment of Andre Padan in a fourth and becoming their best offensive defenseman through November, a bit of December. By about February, he'd been pretty much uh, taken out of the lineup. He'd been marginalized. And from that point onward, it it was really a struggle for Pouliot to find his footing in the NHL. And I wonder what direction the the club is going to go with Pouliot. I mean, they're obviously going to have to sign him because he's an RFA this summer, if memory serves. And, uh, I mean, do you see him cracking their top six next season? I do think that they're going to try to give him another opportunity because... Early in the season, there was a lot to like about his game. He he was playing uh, within himself. Uh, he was producing some offense. He had a role on the power play, and I do think in midseason he really fell into a rut. And he's been a player. I mean, obviously in Pittsburgh, he was a guy that came in with a huge reputation as a high first round pick, and the expectation was that he would almost be the the next Chris Letang for for the Penguins, a guy that could really. Uh, make a difference on the back end, produce some offense, and ultimately uh, he sometimes has issues in his own zone and what I think we saw happen this year is that he he ran into those issues over and over and and started to doubt himself and wasn't at all the player that we saw early in the season where he was confident with the puck on his stick. He was absolutely very good at getting the puck out of the D zone and and starting Mm -hmm. attacks. Uh, He it helped, I think, that he has that ability to play both sides. As a left shot, he can play the right side, and mm-hmm. I do think that that's something that works in his favor as we're putting together the blue line, but uh, it's going to be really interesting for him to see where he stacks up, because if a guy like Yulevi comes over, uh, those minutes that Pouliot may have gotten uh, could definitely go to Yulevi. Yeah, especially if Ben Hutton is, an ar- is still around. That could really throw that left side into flux. Uh, joining us on the line, though, is Elliot from Ladner. Elliot, welcome to Nation Network Radio. Oh, hey, gentlemen. Uh, just, yeah, you guys wanted me to, or uh, some to weigh in on Patterson. I, uh, Please do. 
Yeah, well, you know what? I, I think on an organization basis, uh, I think it's a real blow. I think um, losing the Twins this year is, uh, and then maybe uh, Pedersen uh, is going to be a pretty significant blow to season ticket holders and uh, those who uh, they want to attract to uh, Rogers Arena. Uh, I mean, the guy is an elite talent, and uh, he can sell tickets. Um, so, but on a on a future basis for the hockey club, I think I think the best thing for him is probably actually going back to Sweden, uh, play, having another outstanding season as he did this year, uh, growing and maturing and and possibly gaining some weight and size. Right? I mean, that's probably the best and be all for this guy. As for the draft, uh, I'm I'm on side with you guys. I, I think Hughes is the guy, the guy they need to take there, and I think he will be available. Um, the question is, do they take him? I, I really don't think uh, this regime uh, is too fond of a, a, a smaller stature guy, even though he, he skates and plays well for his size. I, I really don't think that uh, that's the kind of guy Jim Benning likes to draft in the top rounds, uh, unfortunately. Well, thanks so much for your call, Elliot. I really appreciate it. And I guess we'll start with the the question of where Pedersen plays next year. And I thought he made a good point, which is that there isn't really there is a significant downside, certainly in terms of season tickets sales. And we talk about the Canucks and we talk about roster construction, what they should or shouldn't do. Uh, one thing that shouldn't get lost in the conversation is that they are a sports entertainment property first and foremost. And not having Elias Pedersen is bad for business, and that is undeniably true. And and thanks to Elliot for pointing that out. Uh, the one point that he brought up though is that, that I agreed with was it wouldn't be the end of the world if he had another year to develop physically get stronger improve on some of the things he needs to to become an impact player in the nhl uh the only question i have is is the ahl an option i mean I, does he need to play in the ahl i don't know but is that the would that be the worst outcome no certainly not it's something that i think is on the table uh but I think you look like Adam Gaudet, for example. I think you can make a, a sound argument that he could use some time in the AHL. 100%. Develop in the professional game. But I think that talking about the Canucks as that business, and the fact is uh, Adam Gaudet generated a lot of hype with his uh, college season this mm-hmm. year, obviously winning the Hobie Baker. And Kessler comparisons. The, 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 <laughs> the, the never-ending Ryan Kessler comparisons. And the fact yeah. that he, he looked like he could, he could stick uh, in his little cameo at the end of the season, and there's yep. there's a role for him on this team if he's going to be some sort of energy fourth line player mm-hmm. that can potentially pitch in on on some sort of power play unit. Uh, I think that there's a fit there with Pedersen. I do think that uh, given where the Canucks are, and you have your tandem at the top with Horvat and Besser, and that's mm-hmm. the crux of your first line, and you try to build out the rest of the roster, we have a pretty good idea that Brandon Sutter is going to be back in that shutdown role mm-hmm. that he was at uh, while healthy this season. And, of course, the Sedins being out is is a big, big hole right right below there. And... Uh, had the city and stayed and, and Pedersen could maybe come over and play on their wing. That would have been interesting to see. Yeah. Now there are definitely more questions about uh, 
how you want to to use him. How would they use him? What kind of role? If if they're going to use Brandon Sutter in such an extreme shutdown role, mm-hmm. then uh, there's going to be someone on the flip side of that. And uh, you try, uh, you kind of wonder, I guess, in terms of development, would that be the best thing for Elias Patterson to come over and play in, in a in a super advanced sheltered offensive role? Uh, I'm sure it would probably be good for his numbers but is that ultimately what you want in a in the long-term development you you would really like him to be a very solid two-way guy and the the whole idea is that Pedersen and Horvat give you uh, that one-two punch down the middle uh, that really contending teams pretty much all have uh, at least two centers at the top of their lineup mm-hmm. that can that can make a difference and that yeah. and that teams have to have to pay attention to and, and can't just line match one big line. Yeah. And and certainly with the Canucks right now, the way they're set up, that's going to be an issue that they run into as early as next season. Pedersen or not, uh, we got another phone call here. It's from Faber in Nanaimo. Faber, welcome to Nation Network Radio. Hey, how's it going, guys? It's going well. Yourself? Doing good. Uh, big fan of your show. Love tuning in on the weekends. Uh, you guys do a great job, by the way. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. <laughs> so I got a bet going on with a buddy right now. I'm hoping you guys might be able to solve it for me. All right, shoot. All right, so Petrus Palmu. Cole Lind. I'm betting on Cole Lind being the full-time NHLer first. Um, love to hear you guys' thoughts. I'll uh, hang up and listen. Thanks, guys. Well, uh, I hope you, you really took this guy to the cleaners. Like, I, <laughs> I hope we're talking about a $4,000 bet here because uh, and, and I think the world of Petrus Palmu is a prospect and he's, he's a little fire hydrant. I mean, I, I love that, that quote from, from Judd Brackett. He's not small. He's short. And and that'll be the enduring legacy of the Petrus Palmu pick for me. Uh, hell of a prospect, hell of a find in the sixth round. But when you have caveats like that, uh, you really start to wonder about the overall quality relative to other picks, especially a Cole Lind, who was a second round pick. And if I remember my draft board from last year, I think I had Cole Lind closer to 20th than the 35th overall the Canucks were able to secure him at. Uh, so... You're going to win that bet, I suspect. You're going to win it handily. And uh, you know what? That's that's just, I don't know, that's just uh, almost taking advantage of your friend there. I mean, that's, <laughs> yeah. there's four rounds that separate the guys. And, uh, well, I don't know. i got to find some friends like that to make bets with. I think you look at Lynn and you feel relatively confident that, that at, at worst he's a guy that could be a solid third line player mm-hmm. and uh i do think he could use a little bit definitely get used to the pro game in the ahl but i, I think that it's fairly reasonable to believe uh, maybe not next season but the the season after that that he he starts the year with the canucks in, in some sort of third line role uh he has a, a bit of scoring punch uh that's something that uh, the team desperately needs, mm-hmm. and yeah, I mean, I'm with you, JD. I like Palmu as well. I yep. think there's uh, there's a lot to like there, but uh, they're they're definitely, I think, coming from from different places. And uh, if I was if I was to jump in on this bet, I would uh, I would also jump on the the Lind bandwagon. Well, let's just say I hope the person who who took uh, who took Petrus Palmu in that bet, I hope he got odds because uh, otherwise it seems almost unfair. Uh, we're gonna. 
get back to the Canucks prospects, talk a little bit about the draft and the NHL playoffs, and we want to hear your thoughts again as always. Reach out by phone at 604-280-1040, 844-876-1040, text us at 104040. You're listening to Nation Network Radio on The Voice for Vancouver Sports, TSN 1040. And joining me today in John Abbott's stead is Israel Fair, also from the Athletic Vancouver, and we're talking a little bit about the Canucks prospects, uh, in particular Elias Pedersen, Ole Levy came up. We had one caller, Chris Faber from Nanaimo, bring up Cole Lind and and a very favorable looking bet, I would say, at the moment. <laughs> uh, and and you know what? We're going to go right back to the text inbox, Izzy, because we're getting quite a bit of feedback there. Somebody asks, "What is the scouting report on Emil Pedersen? He plays center. Do you think the Canucks would have interest? Interest? And Emil Pedersen is, of course, the brother." Of Elias Pedersen, who uh, played a role in that video from last year's draft, where Elias Pedersen uh, he saw the phone, uh, a celebration from his brother when he got drafted, and it moved the guy to tears. It was a very sweet moment. But uh, you know what? In, in all seriousness, I can't really speak too much about Emil Pedersen's game. I mean, we're talking about somebody who's been in North America for one season with the Milwaukee Admirals. Uh, that would be the farm team for the Nashville Predators. He had 46 points in 72 games. Uh, those numbers would be good for a uh, like 19, 20-year-old. We're talking about somebody who's 24 years old in Emil Pedersen. Uh, I'm not really sure I see an NHL future for somebody with that kind of uh, scoring profile. I mean, to his credit, he was also a point-per-game player in the SHL just a season prior uh, with Vaxio. He was only half a point per game uh, with Sheleftia. So uh, his statistical profile doesn't really speak to someone who is banging on the door of an NHL job. And usually by the time you're 24 years old, you're just stepping into your peak production years. And at that point, you can pretty confidently say that a player is what he is. Uh, So I I don't think the Canucks have any interest in Emil Pedersen, (laughs) frankly. Uh, You know, maybe the Utica Comets do. (laughs) Uh, Maybe. I don't know. Uh, I'm guessing you haven't seen too much Emil Pedersen. I have not. No. Uh, but like you laid out, JD, the statistical profile is one of uh, of uh, the ceiling. I think is a depth player in yeah. the NHL, and uh, maybe if the Can- if there comes a time uh, and he's still playing, and the Canucks are something close to a contender, and there's a fit here uh, to be their thirteenth forward, to play on a fourth line, or to, yep. to be uh, a healthy scratch and be around, <laughs> it's something that let's assume his his brother turns into the star that a lot of people mm-hmm. think he's going to. Would that be a, a nice bonus for the kid? I, I'm sure. It could be like the Niedermeyer brothers. <laughs> you know, you got the one superstar and the one guy who's just kind of there. Uh, so we got another text here, and and that one was from Mike. Uh, always make sure that you sign your texts. Really want to give you credit for it on the show. This one, what do you think of a trade where Canucks weaponize cap space? Canucks trade Edler to Tampa and pick up half of the salary, which would reduce Edler's cap number to $2.5 million for Tampa first rounder in 2019 and TJ Miller. Canucks sign Miller to two-year $8 million and trade him back to Bolts again and pick up half of his salary for another first. Agent is aware, of course. Vancouver eats $4.5 million and Canucks get two first-rounders for Edler because of it. Tampa is happy because they save precious cap space on Edler and TJ Miller. That is one of the more intricate texts that I have ever fielded on this show. I mean, this guy has gone to extreme 
detail to map out this trade scenario, and he didn't even sign his text. I mean, I'd love to give this guy credit. Uh, so, what do you think of that, Izzy? That's a pretty, uh, pretty intense trade. I mean, you got so you got to retain the salary on Edler. Yeah. You got to trade him to Tampa for a first. Then you got to take back JT Miller for future considerations, I would imagine. Then trade him back to Tampa. <laughs> retain salary. This is something else. I mean, I. I Give, give this guy a lot of credit for thinking outside the box because we've talked a lot about weaponizing cap space. Yes. I've never talked about something like this. Maybe I should write an article about this for like Canucks Army or The Athletic. Uh, now, I, I don't know if we can speak to the specifics of that. We've never seen a deal of this kind in the NHL. No. But I think the more general theme here and I don't want to stray away from your, your your trade idea because it was a good one. But I think the general theme is, do we see an opportunity for the Canucks to weaponize their expected $28 million in cap space? Do we see one with Tampa Bay, for example? I I do. And I think the uh, Edler connection, it, it makes sense. He fits the type of player that the Tampa Bay Lightning need, uh, especially if you do retain half of his salary. And you think about Alex Edler, the, the one question in Vancouver has always been, will he waive? Well, he waive his no-trade clause. And if there's anywhere he's going to waive it for, because we know it's not really about cup contention or he wouldn't want to stay in Vancouver, you have to think that one place he'd be willing to go is Tampa Bay. Um, I, I could see an opportunity for something there. Yeah, I think so. Uh, on a fit level, absolutely. He mm-hmm. would be, Alex Edler would be a fit for Tampa. They are coming up on a situation where they're going to be in a bit of a cap crunch. Nikita yep. Kucherov needs a new contract. He's coming off a year where, uh, at times, people thought he would be the, uh, the Hart Trophy yep. favorite. And, uh, that's something that the, that's going to cost the, the Lightning a, a bunch of money. Of course, they already have big time contracts for Vasilevsky, Hedman, Steven Stamkos. So, uh, that's kind of the the blessing and the curse of being a team that's trying to contend for a Stanley Cup. Mm-hmm. Uh, Edler would absolutely be a, a short-term fit, though I do think that he's been very clear. He's not super interested in waiving that no-trade clause. Mm-hmm. He's come out and said that he he uh, wants to almost follow in the, the footsteps of the Sedins and be part of a rebuild here in Vancouver. Um, he's a guy, I think, that's been polarizing to the Canucks fan base because the expectations were ratcheted up so high. And when the team was a legitimate Stanley Cup contender, he was an excellent player. 50-point seasons. And that's something that uh, the Canucks could certainly use, but he's not, yeah. he's not that guy anymore. But I think he would absolutely help out uh, a team like Tampa. Though I do also think that if he's not going to wave and you're going to make the best of a situation, uh, that he can still be useful here. Uh, so the Canucks search to weaponize that cap space. While I think on paper, uh, having Alex Edler as part of the transaction makes a lot of sense, mm-hmm. uh, may just not be something that can actually happen. Well, uh, I think this is a point that our, our two bosses, Mike and, and Jason loved to bring up from Halford and Bruff on TSN 1040 is he's one of the oldest defensemen in the league and it's hard to kind of fathom that given we have all these preconceived notions of when you peak, when defensemen are at their best, we assume it's their late 20s Alexander Edler at 32 years old is one of the oldest defensemen in the NHL so I mean if, if the Canucks are ever going to strike while the iron is hot 
I don't think it's going to get any more scalding than it is now because that opportunity might not be there in a year or two. And I think one of the added bonuses to finding a way to move Edler, finding a way to weaponize your cap space, maybe bring that cap number down to $2.5 million to the team willing to make that trade. Uh, of course, assuming Edler is willing to make that trade, of course, it's a, it's a two-way street there, is... It could save the Canucks from an ugly contract extension down the stretch, right? Because Edler had something of a renaissance season, but I don't think we're under any delusions here. I don't think he's necessarily turned the the clock back. Uh, He is what he is, and that's a serviceable... I'd say a, a three in the NHL right now, like not necessarily a top pair guy, but you put him in the right role. I think Alexander Edler can excel, and I think the the time is now to find that type, that type of fit. Uh, the question is whether Alexander Edler will allow for it. And in a similar vein to that last question, uh, a little less detail, we've got one from Josh, the Zamboni guy, and he asks, "What are your thoughts on?" A-team, not the Canucks, A-team, trading for Marion Hosts' contract now that we have found out he is done. Uh, So he is all but retired from hockey. He's still on the books for the Chicago Blackhawks, and most reports indicate he's going to take a front office gig with the Chicago Blackhawks at the expiration of his contract. But for the time being, there is value in a team taking him off their hands because in the summer, you're allowed to exceed the salary cap by about 10%. And so the idea a lot of people have is that you put Marion Hosa on LTIR and it's free money. Like you just have to consider that in the summer, but you can't. You can't spend past the 10% overage in the summer. So you're really giving the, the Blackhawks flexibility. There are limitations on how much a team can put on long-term injured reserve. Uh, so there is value in taking on a Marion Hosa. Uh, I've noticed a trend in the last two years in the NHL where basically... And this happens a lot. You saw with the Ryan Reeves thing and Derek Broussard. Deals of that ilk where salary considerations are like paramount. $2 million was usually the going going rate on a fourth round pick. So I wonder, is this something that the Canucks could get a third round pick for? Because we're talking about closer to four, four and a half million. And it's not an actual cap charge. And he just has to be on the books for at least another, I think, four seasons. And again, we talk about the Canucks window. It's not open yet. It's not even unlocked. I mean, they are so far away from contending. I think that they can fit that contract in comfortably with the knowledge that they can put him on injured reserve at the start of the season to clear up opportunities to spend that cash. So I see a lot of upside to a deal like this. What about you, Izzy? I mean, we've seen it in the past with uh, the Coyotes taking on uh, Pavel Datsuk and Chris Pronger's contracts. Uh, and I think it, it just makes a ton of sense for the Canucks to at least explore that sort of transaction because they should be in asset collection mode. Um, they are our team now. With They have ample cap space. They have been a team that has consistently been a cap team Mm -hmm. and if you're looking at okay uh you're going to pay some of this contract off uh is that something that's worthwhile to to bring back some sort of draft pick and Mm -hmm. to to put that valuation uh like you did if you're you're paying four four and a half is that is that on an open market would you be willing to pay that for a third round pick Uh, i think it's something that you have to consider uh the canucks should uh they of course don't have uh, their fourth for this upcoming draft, uh, having traded uh, it to Pittsburgh in the Derek Pouliot deal. Yeah. Uh, and I think that 
it's the one thing that's that's kind of uh, I think an interesting talking point about the the front office is that you can run through the laundry list of, of signings and trades that may or may not have worked out and a lot of that is completely fair and reasonable but they have drafted fairly well, especially mm-hmm. recently, and I just think it makes all the sense in the world to try to get as many picks as possible. Is it a second? Is it a third? I think that they could do uh, something there and, and probably come out with at least one player that uh, that could make an impact for the Canucks long term. And the thing to consider here, too, is that I'm looking at the, the Chicago Blackhawks page on NHL Numbers, an affiliate of the Nation Network. They have two third-round picks. They have the draft capital to make it happen, and they have the impetus to make it happen because if the window hasn't already shut in Chicago, they are fighting and fighting and fighting to keep it open. And having an extra $5.275 million for the next three seasons by unloading the Marion Hosa contract, that is going to be another step forward through that window. So I can see the impetus for the Blackhawks. I can see why it makes sense for the Canucks. Uh, It's an interesting thing to ponder. I don't know if the Canucks are going to make a move of that ilk. There isn't a historical precedent. Uh, The closest the Canucks have ever come to making a a move in that vein was when they acquired UC Okanen to take on Tyler Mott at last year's trade deadline. Although one could reasonably argue they took on Tyler Mott (laughs) to get UC Okanen based on the point production. Uh, We got another question here. Nation Network Radio. You can chime in by the phone. 604-280-1040. We want to hear your feedback. Uh, 844-876-1040. That's toll free and text us at 1040-40. We got another text. This one from Elliot and Ladner, who was calling the show earlier, if it is the same Elliot and Ladner. Goalies have been undervalued over the past decade in the NHL. GMs refrain from paying a premium in trade or big money contracts for this position. Does the flurry notion of him standing on his head virtually all season long change this philosophy going forward? Elliot and Ladner, and I'm going to let you take this one, Izzy, to start. The Fleury story is a fascinating one, and watching him in these playoffs, he has been unbelievable. He has game every game has has had massive saves and is probably that, that diving save. Oh, geez, it reminded me almost of the one that he made in the Cup Final <laughs> against Detroit. Yeah, um, he's been. It's 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 a great story. He's a guy that I think is beloved around the league. Uh, but he was available because Pittsburgh had a younger, uh, and you could argue, uh, based on their play for the Penguins uh, in, in Fleury's last few years, their better goalie in Matt Murray. Mm-hmm. And so I just think that teams are understanding that it's it's very tough, I think, to, uh, to predict goaltending right now. Mm-hmm. Carey Price had a three-year stretch where he was incredible and uh, has battled some injuries now. And this year, if you look at his numbers, he was very disappointing. And I think the expectation is that he'll come back next year healthy and, and be closer to what he was. But uh, he, signed, he signed a massive, massive contract. And if it doesn't work out, then uh, the Canadians are on the hook for uh, a long term and a lot of money for yep. a player that uh, they're basically paying for past performances. And I think if you look around the league, uh, look at the Canucks, for example. Jacob Markstrom had a relatively average season, I guess you could say, as an NHL starter, his first season as an NHL starter. He's on a reasonable contract. 
I think you could reasonably expect him to be a little bit better next year. I don't think mm-hmm. that that's unfair, and that's not something that that's costing them uh, huge in terms of uh, salary cap ramifications. And uh, of course, came came back in in a trade from Florida that was not really a trade about him. No, it wasn't. It, was. it wasn't a targeted player <laughs> no. that they went out and got. And I think you can look even back to to last year, the last few years when Ryan Miller was here. Uh, Ryan Miller had a Ryan Miller at one point was considered one of the best goalies in the National Hockey League. Uh, His tenure in Vancouver, I think he delivered on the expectations of what you would expect from a goalie like Ryan Miller. Uh, It just happened that the team around him uh, declined every year that he was here, and he ends up in a backup role in Anaheim and put up some really nice numbers uh, Mm -hmm. on another reasonable contract. And I think you're just finding, teams are finding ways to uh, not overly invest in the goaltending position at this point. And while we all understand how much of a difference it makes, especially in the playoffs, and the flurry example is definitely a good one, uh, I don't think the teams, uh, I think you, you look at the running back position in the NFL, teams are not overly investing in that position because... Except for the Seahawks. Well, <laughs> this, is, uh, this is factually correct, um, but... It's it's just not, I don't think, in team's best interest to lock that kind of player up, even though as we're watching here, the Lightning and, and the Golden Knights are on track to make the Stanley Cup, and they've both done so with uh, big-time performances from their goaltenders. I think that's a good point, and, and the one I was going to make, too, and this applies a lot to running backs in the NFL, is the concept of them being a very fungible position, which is essentially means interchangeable, uh, you very volatile, unpredictable, and that's how I would describe goaltending. And I think that the case of Mark Andre Fleury, who for four years struggled to put up a 900 save percentage in the playoffs, now putting up what like a 940. I think this doesn't speak to the overall importance, and I hope none of my goaltender friends are listening because they're going to be very mad. <laughs> but I think it just speaks to the fungibility of the position and and the randomness of the position. Uh, now, the one caveat to that is I don't have the skill set to to evaluate it. I think there's more more to it than I'm giving credit, but I think based on my analysis abilities and and most people's, it is a highly fungible position because we don't know the right things to look for. It should be more specialized in writing circles and and in our analysis than it probably is at the current moment. So we're going to talk a little bit more about the Canucks goaltending in the, the third segment, but we're running up against the clock here. You're listening to Nation Network Radio on TSN 1040, your voice for Vancouver sports. Follow me at J. Dylan Burke on Twitter. Follow Israel Fair at Israel Fair. Uh, writes at the Athletic Vancouver. I write there along with that Canucks Army. And we got a bit of a shorter segment here because we got a little bit carried away in the second one. Uh, that that four trades in one scenario to Tampa Bay, <laughs> it, just, it just ate up the entire segment. All just, consuming. Just describing it took up like 10 minutes. And then, and then commenting on it is just a uh, write-off. But we got a couple more questions here, and I'd like to get to all of them. Uh, here's one from Greg the Dairy Farmer. And, and you know what? We ask people to sign their texts. I like that one. It's got a little personality to it. Is there a stat on goalie save percentage when certain players slash defensemen are on the ice? Players that have predictable structure and are not getting in the sight lines, etc. Now, this has been a, a topic of some debate in the hockey analytics community for as long as we've had an interesting, like, thorough database of on-ice statistics. Uh, if you go to Corsica.hockey, which is affiliated with the Nation Network, 
uh, the namesake of the show, you'll find that you can, through careful scrolling, find the players on ice save percentage. Now, the only problem with going too far into that level of analysis is players don't have any repeatable impact on on a save percentage. It's shown to be extremely volatile year to year and not very repeatable. That means that it's got nothing to do with the players on the ice, certainly not in any way that we can prove. Uh, what a, a stat like goalie save percentage with a certain player on the ice, or players on ice save percentage rather, what that can tell you is how lucky or unlucky a player is when they are on the ice. Because at 5-on-5, five five, you wouldn't expect somebody to be on the ice and have their goaltender give up, uh, you know, have an 870 at 5-on-5. Five five. Uh, the player would have very little control over that number, and it would be able to explain away some of his his like pratfalls when you look at his goals for, and even if you want to go with some of the old school numbers, like a plus minus, if he's a minus 10, but you find out he has an on-ice save percentage of 860, well, that goes a long way towards explaining. It suggests that he's not necessarily a bad defensive player. It suggests that he's just getting quite unlucky when he is on the ice. So that's what I would say the takeaway is for players on ice save percentage. And you can find that again at Corsica.hockey. Uh, next question. And this one comes to us from an unsigned contributor. What do you think about trading Erickson's contract for another bad contract? I think Montreal would be interested if it was Alsner. Canucks save one and a half million, but also that move makes Gutty available for someone like Bukestad, which then makes Sutter available for trade. And I gotta say, I appreciate the lengths that people are going to today. We had the Tampa Bay one. Now we're going back to the Florida well. Izzy, I'm gonna let you <laughs> tackle this one. Uh, and and you know, it's been a great couple of weeks for, for Dale Talon too, so let's talk about a scenario that would make him all the much happier getting Erica Branson back. God, that story, right? Never will never go away. Uh, do you think you could get Marcia So and, and Riley Smith back? Could you get two thirds of a top line, the team that appears headed to the Stanley Cup? You can get it for a fourth line, depending on, or sorry, a fourth <laughs> round pick, depending on the uh, the circumstances. But I guess we'll, we'll we'll leave that for another day when the the Vegas Golden Knights sweep in the Stanley Cup Finals. Uh, so, what was your thought on that trade suggestion? Basically, Erickson for another bad contract. I think we've heard it before. I, I believe in season. The much bandied about proposal was uh, Milan Lucic, who, of course, the Canucks uh, chased hard before he signed in Edmonton. Uh, the second half of his season was disastrous for the Oilers, uh, mm -hmm. and he was still playing the bulk of that time with Connor McDavid. That's hard to do. He was not scoring goals at all. I think that if you're looking at that, uh, from my standpoint, I'd still rather have Louis Erickson. Uh, the Olsner one, I think, is interesting. He was definitely overpaid. Uh, that was something that a lot of people saw coming last year. Uh, he fits that sort of Eric Branson type of defenseman, big body. He had had playoff success with Washington, and we were all left wondering on July 1st, okay, which team is going to overpay it and up being Montreal? Uh, does that make sense? Uh, I think that the Canucks are in a position where they should be adding defensemen. I just think that I would also, as disappointing as he's been with the Canucks, I think Louis Erickson still has a little bit more to offer. Is he going to be a first-line player? I don't think so. But in a right role, uh, he's not been playing generally uh, where he had success on the power play with, mm -hmm. with these Canucks. And uh, I think at 5-on-5, five five, uh, he still has the ability to be a, a solid enough two-way player. You'd just like to see more offense and 
I don't think I would be wanting to to take back one of those bad contracts, whether it be right. an Alsner or a Milan Lucic. Well, I mean, the thing is, it's you know, are you saving a bit of money? I mean, against the cap, you're saving about one point three seven five million in a Alsner for Ericsson exchange, but. To what exact end is that deal made? I mean, it's it just seems like a lateral move for both teams. And, I mean, we've seen moves like that before. There is a precedent for that type of a, a transaction where it's it's basically, you know, you take my problem, I'll take yours. Uh, but the Canucks, we talk about their defense, talk about uh, replacing good Branson. I mean, Alsner's a left shot. Uh, he, he is significant. Well, he is certainly better than Eric Goodbranson. I would think so. Uh, That goes for most NHL defensemen last year. Uh, But uh, again, he's a left shot and that just adds to a problem that the Canucks still don't have any clear picture of how to solve already and that is what do they do with all these middling defensemen on the left side? How can you add to that group when you've got Alexander Edler who, like we said, one of the oldest defensemen in the NHL uh, there's no certainty about his situation, especially with his injury history with the back. It doesn't look great. You got Michael Delzato, uh, Ben Hutton, who might not be a Canuck by the time by this time July, and Derek Pouliot, who had a very up and down season last year. So I don't think that's the direction to go in. Although I certainly appreciate that kind of. Uh, that, that thinking, I can see where you're sure. coming from. Uh, another one was gutty for someone like. Bugstad, which then makes Sutter available for a trade. And we got some interesting thoughts on Sutter's uh, supposed availability, or rather lack thereof from the Canucks perspective, uh, courtesy Jason Botchford, who's a regular on TSN 1040. Uh, but let's talk first about Gutty for, for Bugstad. I think that's an obvious win for the Canucks. Bugstad can play down the middle of the lineup. He brings speed. He's got a good two-way profile. Exactly the type of player that Travis Green would like to get into the lineup. But this segues nicely into another conversation, this one about Brandon Sutter's availability. And on a TSN 1040 appearance, if I'm right, it might have been a podcast. It's, I didn't hear it firsthand. But uh, it was transcribed, and apparently the Canucks received a call about Sutter every day for a week. At least four teams interested, but he doesn't expect the Canucks to trade him. We later found out those teams were the Anaheim Ducks, the San Jose Sharks, and the Los Angeles Kings. And I I just don't understand the Canucks' reasoning. To me, that sounds like a golden opportunity. He's not getting any younger. In fact, I think he's getting close to about 30 years old. So whether he can be a part of this next wave of Canucks' success or not is far from certain. He's 29 now. He's going to be 30 at the end of next season. I mean, what what am I missing here? And I, I've I've been asking this for years with Brandon Sutter, but he he had 26 points playing top line minutes at five on five this year. Last year he had 34 points playing top line minutes at five on five. Those numbers are at the bottom of the league. And you can talk about a shutdown role. And and certainly he played the most defensive zone starts in the NHL. He was in the 99th percentile. It doesn't impact your output to that extent. And there's a lot of research done in the public sphere of the analytics community to back that up. Same goes with the quality of competition. I think the Canucks missed a huge opportunity. What are your thoughts on this one, Izzy? It's super interesting. And I am not 
entirely surprised that those would be the teams that are or were interested in Brandon Sutter. They're all generally teams that uh, have for probably toward the end of their contending window could Sutter be I mean the, the big the big Sutter takeaway in Vancouver is that he's played he's playing too high up in the lineup for yeah. for the kind of player that he is and the the offensive black hole with that many minutes is going to tank most teams and depending on maybe they, the Canucks weren't pleased with the return but I think it, it's very interesting that those would be the teams calling and uh, that they didn't come close I guess to moving on from Brandon Sutter well you know what one of the, the main takeaways from that is one of the main assets the Canucks get back an extra 4.4 million annually against the salary cap I mean Oh, I, I just can't imagine their reasoning for not taking a team up on any offer for Brandon Sutter. We're going to talk about that more, what the Canucks are going to do with their offseason. It's it's getting down to the, to the wire here in the NHL playoffs, and then we can start to look at what they'll do with trades, free agency, the draft. Uh, hockey season may be over for the Canucks, but the intrigue is just beginning. Uh, Elias Pettersson, where will he go? There's a lot to talk about, and we're going to bring it all here on Nation Network Radio. You're listening to it on TSN 1040, your voice for Vancouver sports. This TSN 1040 podcast is powered by Metro Ford. It's hard to beat a Metro Ford deal in Port Coquitlam and online at MetroMotors.com.